Section fifty of London Labour and the London Poor by Henry Mayhew, Volume One. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Yearsley. The Street Folk, Part Fifty. Of the experience of a street bookseller, I now give a statement furnished to me by an experienced man as to the nature of his trade and the class of his customers. Most readers will remember having seen an account in the life of some poor scholar, having read, and occasionally, in spite of the remonstrances of the stallkeeper, some work which he was too needy to purchase, and even of his having read it through at intervals. That something of this kind is still to be met with will be found from the following account. "'My customers, sir, are of all sorts,' my informant said. They're gentlemen on their way from the city that have to pass along here by the city road. Bankers' clerks, very likely, or insurance office clerks, or such like. They're fairish customers, but they often screw me. Why, only last month, a gentleman I know very well by sight, and I see him pass in his brougham in bad weather, took up an old Latin book. If I remember right, it was an odd volume of a French edition of Horace, and though it was marked only eightpence, it was long before he would consent to give more than sixpence and I never should have got my price if I hadn't heard him say quite hastily, when he took up the book, the very thing I've long been looking for. Mechanics are capital customers for scientific or trade books, such as suit their business, and so they often are for geography and history, and some for poetry, but they're not so screwy. I know a many such, who are rare ones for searching into knowledge. Women buy very little of me, in comparison to men, sometimes an odd novel in one volume when it's cheap, such as the pilot, or the spy, or the farmer of Inglewood Forest, or the monk. No doubt some buy the monk, not knowing exactly what sort of a book it is, but just because it's a romance. But some young men buy it, I know, because they have learned what sort it's like. Old three-vol novels won't sell at all, if they're ever so cheap. Boys very seldom buy of me, unless it's a work about pigeons or something that way. I can't say that odd vols of annual registers are anything but a bad sale, but odd vols of old mags, magazines, a year or half-year bound together are capital. Old London mags, or ladies, or Oxford and Cambridges, or town and countries, or universals, or monthly reviews, or humorists, or ramblers, or Europeans, or any of any sort that's from forty to a hundred years old, no matter what they are, go off rapidly at from one shilling and sixpence to three shillings and sixpence each, according to size and binding and condition. Odd numbers of mags are good for little at a stall. The old mags in vols are a sort of reading a great many are very fond of. Lives of the Princess Charlotte are already penny enough. Sir so Queen Caroline's, but not so good. Dictionaries of all kinds are nearly as selling as the old mags, and so are good Latin books. French are only middling, not so well as you might think. My informant then gave me a similar account to what I had previously received concerning English classics, and proceeded, Old religious books, they're a fair trade enough, but they're not so plentiful on the stalls now, and if they're black letter they don't find their way from the auctions or anywhere, to any places but the shops or to private purchasers. Mrs. Rowe's knowledge of the heart goes off, if old. Bibles and prayer books and hymn books are very bad. Note. This may be accounted for by the cheapness of these publications when new, and by the facilities afforded to obtain them gratuitously. End note. Annuals are dull in going off, very much so, though one might expect different. 
I can hardly sell keepsakes at all. Children's books, such as are out one year at two shillings and sixpence apiece, very nicely got up, sell finally next year at the stalls for from sixpence to tenpence. Genteel people buy them of us for presents at holiday times. They'll give an extra penny quite cheerfully if there's price two shillings and sixpence or price three shillings and sixpence lettered on the back or part of the title page. School books in good condition don't stay long on hand, especially pinnocks. There's not a few people who stand and read and read for half an hour or an hour at a time. It's very trying to the temper when they take up room that way and prevent others seeing the works and never lay out a penny themselves, but they seem quite lost in a book. Well, I'm sure I don't know what they are. Some seem very poor, judging by their dress, and some seem shabby genteels. I can't help telling them, when I see them going, that I'm much obliged, and I hope that perhaps next time they'll manage to say thank you, for they don't open their lips once in twenty times. I know a man in the trade that goes dancing mad when he has customers of this sort who aren't customers. I dare say one day with another I earn three shillings a year through. Wet days are greatly against us, for if we have a cover, people won't stop to look at a stall. Perhaps the rest of my trade earn the same. This man told me that he was not unfrequently asked, and by respectable people, for indecent works, but he recommended them to go to Holywell Street themselves. He believed that some of his fellow traders did supply such works, but to no great extent. An elderly man, who had known the street-book trade for many years, but was not concerned in it when I saw him, told me that he was satisfied he had sold old books, old plays often, to Charles Lamb, whom he described as a stuttering man, who, when a book suited him, sometimes laid down the price, and smiled and nodded, and then walked away with it in his pocket or under his arm, without a word having been exchanged. When we came to speak of dates, I found that my informant— who had only conjectured that this was Lamb, was unquestionably mistaken. One of the best customers he ever had for anything old or curious, and in Italian, if he remembered rightly, as well as in English, was the late Reverend Mr. Scott, who was chaplain on board the Victory at the time of Nelson's death at Trafalgar. He had a living in Yorkshire, I believe it was, said the man, and used to come up every now and then to town. I was always glad to see his white head and rosy face, and to have a little talk with him about books and trade, though it wasn't always easy to catch what he said, for he spoke quick and not very distinct. But he was a pleasant old gentleman, and talked to a poor man as politely as he might to an admiral. He was very well known in my trade, as I was then employed. The same man once sold to a gentleman, he told me, and he believed it was somewhere about twenty-five years ago, if not more a Spanish or Portuguese work, but what it was he did not know. It was marked one shilling and ninepence, being a good-sized book, but the stallkeeper was tired of having had it a long time, so that he gladly would have taken ninepence for it. The gentleman in question handed him half a crown, and, as he had not the change, the purchaser said, Oh, don't mind, it's worth far more than half a crown to me. When this liberal customer had walked away, a gentleman who had been standing at the stall all the time, and who was an occasional buyer, said, Do you know him? And on receiving an answer in the negative, he rejoined, That's Southey. Another stallkeeper told me that his customers, some of whom he supplied with any periodical in the same way as a news vendor, 
had now and then asked him, especially the ladies of the family, who glanced when they passed at the contents of his stall, why he had not newer works. I tell them, said the stallkeeper, that they haven't become cheap enough yet for the streets, but they would come to it in time. After some conversation about his trade, which only confirmed the statements I have given, he said laughingly, Yes, indeed, you all come to such as me at last. Why, last night I heard a song about all the stateliest buildings coming to the ivy, and I thought as I listened, it was the same with authors. The best that the best can do is the bookstall's food at last, and no harm for he's in the best of company with Shakespeare and all the great people. Calculating fifteen shillings weekly as the average earnings of the street bookstall keepers, for further information induces me to think that the street bookseller who earned eighteen shillings a week regularly cleared it by having a tidy pitch, and reckoning that to clear such an amount the bookseller takes at least one pound eleven shillings and sixpence weekly, we find five thousand four hundred and sixty guineas yearly expended in the purchase of books at the purely street stalls, independently of what is laid out at the open-air stalls connected with bookshops. Of Street Book Auctioneers The sale of books by auction in the streets is now inconsiderable and irregular. The auctioning of books, I mean of new books, some of which were published principally with a view to their sale by auction, was, thirty to forty years ago, systematic and extensive. It was not strictly a street sale. The auctioneer offered his books to the public, nine cases out of ten, in town, in an apartment, now commonly known as a mock auction room, which was so far a portion of the street that access was rendered easier by the removal of the door and window of any room on a ground floor, and some of the bidders could and did stand in the street and take part in the proceedings. In the suburbs, which at that period were not so integral a portion of the metropolis as at present, the book auction sales were carried on strictly in the open air, generally in front of a public house, and either on a platform erected for the purpose or from a covered cart, the books then being deposited in the vehicle, and the auctioneer standing on a sort of stage placed on the propped-up shafts. In the country, however, the auction was often carried on in an inn. The works thus sold were generally standard works. The poems were those of Pope, Young, Thompson, Goldsmith, Falconer, Cooper, and so on. The prose writings were such works as The Pilgrim's Progress, The Travels of Mr. Lemuel Gulliver, Johnson's Lives of the Poets, The Vicar of Wakefield, the most popular of the works of Defoe, Fielding, and Smollett, and Hervey's Meditations Among the Tombs, at one time highly popular. These books were not correctly printed. They were printed, too, on inferior paper, and the frontispiece, when there was a frontispiece, was often ridiculous but they certainly gave to the public what is called an impetus for reading. Some were published in London, chiefly by the late Mr. Tegg, who at one time, I am told, himself offered to public competition, by auction, the works he published. Others were printed in Edinburgh, Aberdeen, Newcastle-upon-Tyne, Ipswich, Bungie, and so on. One of my informants remembered being present at a street sale about twenty or thirty years ago, he perfectly remembered, however, the oratory of the auctioneer, of whom he purchased some books. The sale was in one of the streets in Stoke Newington, a door or two from a thoroughfare, 
my informant was there as he called it accidentally and knew little of the neighbourhood the auctioneer stood at the door of what appeared to have been a coach-house and sold his books which were arranged within very rapidly byron he exclaimed lord byron's latest and best poems sixpence sixpence eightpence i take penny bids under a shilling eightpence for the poems written by a lord gone yours sir to my informant the auctioneer i was told spoke very rapidly and clipped many of his words the work thus sold consisted of some of byron's minor poems it was in the pamphlet form and published i have no doubt surreptitiously for there was in those days a bold and frequent piracy of any work which was thought distasteful to the government or to which the court of chancery might be likely to refuse the protection of the law of copyright the auctioneer went on cooper cooper published at three shillings and sixpence as printed on the back superior to byron cooper's task no bidders thank you sir one and six yours sir young young's night thoughts life death and immortality great subjects london edition marked three shillings and sixpence going last bidder two shillings gone the purchaser then complained that the frontispiece a man seated on a tombstone was exactly the same as to a copy he had of hervey's meditations but the auctioneer said it was impossible i have thus shown what was the style and nature of the address of the street book auctioneer formerly to the public if it were not strictly patter or pompous oration it certainly partook of some of the characteristics of patter at present however the street book auctioneer may be described as a true patterer it will be seen from the account i have given that the books were then really sold by auction knocked down to the highest bidder this however was and is not always the case legally to sell by auction necessitates the obtaining of a license at an annual cost of five pounds and if the bookseller conveys his stock of books from place to place a hawker's license is required as well which entails an additional expenditure of four pounds the itinerant bookseller evades or endeavours to evade the payment for an auctioneer's license by putting up his books at a high price and himself decreasing the terms instead of offering them at a low price and allowing the public to make a series of advances thus a book may be offered by a street auctioneer at half a crown two shillings eighteen pence a shilling tenpence and the moment any one assents to a specified sum the volume handed to him so that there is no competition no bidding by the public one in advance of another auction however is resorted to as often as the bookseller dares one experienced man in the bookstall trade calculated that twenty years ago there might be twelve book auctioneers in the streets of london or rather of its suburbs one of these was a frequenter of the old kent road another newington way and a third resorted to any likely pitch in pimlico all selling from a sort of van of these twelve however my informant thought that there were never more than six in london at one time as they were all itinerant and they have gradually dwindled down to two who are now not half their time in town these two traders are brothers and sell their books from a sort of platform erected on a piece of waste ground or from a barrow the works they sell are generally announced as new and are often uncut they are all recommended as explanatory of every topic of the day and are often set forth as spicy three or four years ago a gentleman told me how greatly he was amused with the patter of one of these men 
who was selling books at the entrance of a yard full of caravans, not far from the school for the blind, Lambeth. One work the street auctioneer announced at the top of his voice, in the following terms, as far as a good memory could retain them. The Rambler! Now, you rambling boys, now, you young devils, that's been staring those pretty girls out of countenance, here's a very book for you, and more shame for you, and perhaps for me too, but I must sell, I must do business. If any lady or gentleman'll stand treat to a glass of brandy and water, warm with, I'll tell more about this rambler. I'm too bashful as it is. Who bids? Fifteen pence? Thank you, sir. Sold again. The rambler was Dr. Johnson's. The last time one of my informants heard the patter of the smartest of the two brothers, it was to the following effect. Here is the history of the real flying Dutchman, and no mistake, no fiction, I assure you. Upon my honour, published at ten shillings, who bids half a crown? Sixpence, thank you, sir. Ninepence, going, going, any more, gone. A book-stallkeeper, who had sold goods to a book-auctioneer, and attended the sales, told me he was astonished to hear how his own books, old new books, he called them, were set off by the auctioneer. Why, there was a vol-lettered pamphlets, and I think there was something about Jack Shepherd in it, but it was all odds and ends of other things, I know. Here's the real Jack Shepherd, sings out the man, and no gammon, the real edition, no spooniness here, but set off with other interesting histories, valuable for the rising generation and all generations. This is the real Jack. This will put you up to the time of day. Nix, my dolly, pals, bid away. Then he went on, Goldsmith's History of England, continued by the first writers of the day, to the very last rumpus in the palace, and no mistake. Here it is, genuine. Well, sir, the storekeeper continued, the man didn't do well. Perhaps he cleared one shilling and sixpence or a little more that evening on books. People laughed more than they bought, but it's no wonder the trade's going to the dogs. They're not allowed to have a pitch now. I shouldn't be surprised if they was not all driven out of London next year. It's contrary to Act of Parliament to get an honest living in the streets nowadays. A man connected with the street book trade considered that if one of these auctioneers earned a guinea in London streets in the six days, it was a good week. Half a guinea was nearer the average, he thought, looking at the weather and everything. What amount is expended to enable this street dealer to earn his guinea or half guinea is so uncertain, from the very nature of an auction, that I can obtain no data to rely upon. The itinerant book auctioneer is now confined chiefly to the provincial towns, and especially the country markets. The reason for this is correctly given in the statement above cited. The street auction requires the gathering of so large a crowd that the Metropolitan Police consider the obstruction to the public thoroughfare warrants their interference. The two remaining book auctioneers in London generally restrict their operations to the outskirts, the small space which fronts the George Inn in the commercial road, and which lays a few yards behind the main thoroughfare, and similar suburban retreats being favourite pitches. The trade is, as regards profits, far from bad. The books sold, consisting chiefly of those picked up in cheap lots at the regular auctions, so that what fetches sixpence in the streets has generally been purchased for less than a penny. The average rate of profit may be taken at £250 per cent, at the least. Exorbitant, however, as this return may appear, 
Still, it should be remembered that the avocation is one that can be pursued only occasionally, and that solely in fine weather. Books are now more frequently sold in the London streets from barrows. This change of traffic has been forced upon the street sellers by the commands of the police, that the men should keep moving. Hence the well-known light form of street conveyance is now fast superseding not only the book auctioneer, but the book stall in the London streets. Of these book barrowmen, there is now about fifty trading regularly in the metropolis, and taking on an average from three shillings to five shillings and sixpence a day. Of the street sale of songbooks and of children's books. The sale of songbooks in the streets at one penny and a halfpenny each is smaller than it was two years ago. One reason that I heard assigned was that the penny songbooks, styled the universal songbook, the national, the bijou, and so on, were reputed to be so much alike, the same songs under a different title, that people who had bought one book were averse to buy another. There's the Ross and the Sam Hall songbooks, said one man, the eighteenth series, and I don't know what, but I don't like to venture on working them, though they're only a penny. There's lots to be seen in the shop windows, but they might be stopped in the streets, for they ain't decent, especially the flash ones. One of the books which a poor man had found the most saleable is entitled The Great Exhibition Songbook, a collection of the newest and most admired songs, embellished with upwards of one hundred toasts and sentiments. The toasts and sentiments are given in small type, as a sort of border to the thirty-two pages of which the book consists. The toast on the title page is as follows. I'll toast England's daughters, let all fill their glasses, whose beauty and virtue the whole world surpasses. To show the nature of the songs in street demand, I cite those in the book. The Gathering of the Nations, Bloom is on the Rye, Wilt thou meet me there, love? Minna's Tomb, I'll love thee ever dearly, note Arnold, end note. When Phoebus wakes the rosy hours, Money is your friend, Julia and Caspar, note G. M. Lewis, end note. That pretty word, yes, note E. Mikey, end note. Farewell, forget-me-not, The Queen and the Navy, note, music published by H. White, Great Marlborough Street, end note. I resign thee every token, note, music published by Duff and Co., end note. Sleep, gentle lady, a serenade, note, H. J. Payne, end note. The warbling wagoner, the keepsake, a sequel to the cavalier, there's room enough for all, note, Music at Mr. Davidson's, end note. Will you come to the Dale, Larry O'Brien, Woman's Love, Afloat on the Ocean, note, sung by Mr. Weiss in the opera of the Heart of Midlothian, music published by Jefferies, Soho Square, end note. Together, dearest, let us fly, note, sung by Mr. Braham in the opera of the Heart of Midlothian, music published by Jefferies, Soho Square, end note. The Peremptory Lover, note, tune, John Anderson, my Joe, end note. There are forty-seven songs in addition to those whose titles I have quoted, but they are all of the same character. The Penny Songbooks, which are partly indecent, and entitled the Sam Hall and Ross Songsters, are seldom or never sold in the streets. Many of those vended in the shops outrage all decency. Some of these are styled the Coal Hole Companion, 
cider-cellar songs, Captain Morris's songs, and so on. Note, the filthiest of all, end note. These are generally marked one shilling, and sold at sixpence, and have a coloured folded frontispiece. They are published chiefly by H. Smith, Holywell Street. The titles of some of the songs in these works are sufficient to indicate their character. The Muff, The Two Miss Thighs, George Robbins's Auction, The Woman That Studied the Stars, A Rummy Chaunt, Note, Frequently with No Other Title, End Note, The Amiable Family, Joe Buggins' Wedding, Stop the Cart, The Mot That Can Feel for Another, The Irish Giant, Taylor Tim, The Squire and Patty. Some titles are unprintable. The children's books in best demand in the street trade are those which have long been popular. Cinderella, Jack the Giant Killer, Baron Munchausen, Puss and the Seven Leagued Boots, The Sleeping Beauty, The Seven Champions of Christendom, and so on and so on. There's plenty of Henry and Emma's, said a penny bookseller, and a present for Christmas, and pictorial alphabets, and good books for good boys and girls but when people buys really for their children, they buys the old stories. At least they does of me. I've sold penny hymns, note, hymn books, end note, sometimes, but when they're bought, or good books is bought, it's from charity to a poor fellow like me more than anything else. The trade, both in songs and in children's books, is carried on in much the same way as I have described of the almanacs and memorandum books but occasionally the singers of ballads sell books. Sometimes poor men, old or infirm, offer them in a tone which seems a whine for charity rather than an offer for sale. Buy a penny book of a poor old man, very hungry, very hungry. Children do the same, and all far more frequently in the suburbs than in the busy parts of the metropolis. Those who purchase really for the sake of the books say, one street seller told me, give me something that'll interest a child and set him a-thinking. They can't understand, poor little things, your fine writing. Do you understand that? Another man had said, fairy tales, bring me nothing but fairies. They set children a-reading. The price asked is most frequently a penny, but some are offered at a halfpenny, which is often given, without a purchase, out of compassion, or to be rid of importunity. The profit is at least cent per cent. Of the street sellers of account books. The sale of account books is in the hands of about the same class of street sellers as the stationery, but one man in the trade thought the regular hands were more trusted, if anything, than street stationers. People, you see, he said, won't buy their accounts of raff. They won't have them of any but respectable people. The books sold are bought at four shillings the dozen, or fourpence halfpenny apiece, up to seventy shillings the dozen, or five shillings and ninepence, or six shillings apiece. It is rarely, however, that the street account bookseller gives four shillings and ninepence, and very rarely that he gives as much as five shillings and ninepence for his account books. His principal sale is of the smaller waste, or day books, kept by the petty traders, the average price of these being one shilling and ninepence. The principal purchasers are the chandlers, butchers, and so on, in the quieter streets, and more especially, a little way out of town, 
where there ain't so many cheap shops. A man, now a street stationer with a fixed pitch, had carried on the account-book trade until an asthmatic affliction compelled him to relinquish it, as the walking became impossible to him, and he told me that the street trade was nothing to what it once was. People, he said, aren't so well off, I think, sir, and they'll buy half a quire of outside foolscap or outside post, for from fivepence to eightpence, and stitch it together and rule it and make a book of it. Rich tradesmen do that, sir. I bought of a stationer some years back, and he told me that he was a relation of a rich grocer, and had befriended him in his, the grocer's, youth. But he wouldn't buy account books, for he said the makeshift books that his shopman stitched together for him opened so much easier. People never want a good excuse for acting shabby. There are now, I am informed, twelve men selling account books daily, which they carry in a covered basket, or in a waterproof bag, or in fine weather under the arm. Some of these street sellers are not itinerant when there is a congregation of people for business, or indeed for any purpose. At other times they keep moving. The fixed localities are on market days at Smithfield and Mark Lane, and to Hungerford Market, an old man unable to travel, resorts daily. The chief trade, however, is in carrying or hawking these account books from door to door. A man having a connection does best on a round. If he be known, he is not distrusted, and sells as cheap, or rather cheaper, than the shopkeepers. The twelve account book sellers with connections may clear two shillings and sixpence a day each, taking for the realisation of such profit seven shillings per diem. Thus one thousand three hundred and ten pounds will be taken by these street sellers in the course of a year. The capital required to start is stock money, fifteen shillings, basket, three shillings and sixpence, waterproof bag, two shillings and sixpence, twenty-one shillings in all. Of the street sellers of guide-books and so on, this trade, as regards a street sale, has only been known for nine or ten years, and had its origination in the exertions of Mr. Hume, M.P., to secure to persons visiting the national exhibitions the advantage of a cheap catalogue. The guide-books were only sold, prior to this time, within any public exhibition, and the profits, as is the case at present, were the perquisite of some official. When the sale was a monopoly, the profit must have been considerable, as the price was seldom less than sixpence, and frequently one shilling. The guide-books, or as they are more frequently called, catalogues, are now sold by men who stand at the entrance, the approaches, at a little distance on the line, or at the corners of the adjacent streets, at the following places, the National Gallery, the Vernon Gallery, the British Museum, Westminster Abbey, the House of Lords, the Society of Arts, occasionally, the Art Union, when open free, Greenwich Hospital, the Dulwich Gallery, Hampton Court, Windsor Castle and Kew Gardens. At any temporary exhibition also, the same trade is carried on, as it was largely when the, when the designs and so on for the decoration of the new Houses of Parliament were exhibited in Westminster Hall. There are, of course, very many other catalogues or explanatory guides sold to the visitors of other exhibitions, but I speak only of the street sale. There are now at the National Gallery 
three guide-book sellers plying their trade in the streets, eight at the British Museum, two at Westminster Abbey, one at the House of Lords, but only on Saturdays, when the house is shown, by orders obtained gratuitously at the Lord Chamberlain's office, or when appeals are on, one at the Vernon Gallery, two at Dulwich, but not regularly, as there are none at present, two at Hampton Court, one near each gate, and one, and sometimes three, at Windsor, generally sent out by a shopkeeper there. There used to be one at the Thames Tunnel, but it grew so bad at last, I was told, that a rat couldn't have picked up his grub at it, let alone a man. Among all these sellers I heard statements of earning a most wretched pittance, and all attributed it to the same cause. By the National Gallery is a board on which is an announcement that the only authorised catalogue of the works of art can be obtained in the hall. There are similar announcements at other public places. One man who had been in this street trade, but had abandoned it, spoke of these boards, as he called them, with intense bitterness. "'They're the ruin of any trade in the streets,' he said. "'You needn't think, because I'm out of it now, that I have a pleasure in abusing the regulations. No, sir. I look at it this way. Mr. Hume had trouble enough, I know, to get the public a cheap catalogue, and poor men were allowed to earn honest bread by selling them in the streets, and honest bread they would earn still if it weren't for the board. I declare solemnly a man can't get a living at the trade.' The publishers can't prepare their catalogues without leave, and when they've got leave and do prepare and print them, why isn't a man allowed to sell them in the streets, as I've sold second editions of the Globe, without ever the office putting out a notice that the only authorised copy was to be had within? God bless your soul, sir. It's shocking, shocking, poor men being hindered every way. Anybody that looks on the board looks on us as cheats and humbugs, and thinks that our catalogues are all takes in. But I've heard gentlemen that I'm sure knew what they were talking about, say, in case they'd bought in the street first, and then seen the board and bought within after, so as to be sure of the real thing. I've heard gentlemen say, sir, why, what we got in the street is the best after all. Free trade. There's plenty said about free trade, but that board, sir, or call it what you please, gives a monopoly against us. What I have said when I was starving on catalogues is this. Kick us out of the streets, commit us for selling catalogues as rogues and vagabonds, or give us a fair chance. If we may sell, why is the only authorised catalogue sold only within? I wish Mr. Hume, or Mr. Cobden either, only understood the rights of the matter. It's of no account to me myself now, and I think they'd soon set it to rights. Free trade, over the left, and with more hooks than one. I have no doubt that this representation and this opinion would have been echoed by the street catalogue sellers, but they were evidently unwilling to converse freely on this branch of the subject, knowing the object for which I questioned them, and that publicity would follow. I attribute this reluctance chiefly to the fact that all these poor men look forward to the opening of the great exhibition with earnest hope and anxiety that the influx of visitors will add greatly to their sale and profits, and they are unwilling to jeopardise their privilege of sale. One man told me that he believed from his own knowledge, for he had not always sold outside, that the largest buyers of these publications were country people, sightseeing in London, for they bought the book not only as an explanatory guide, but to preserve as a memento of their visit. 
Such customers, however, I heard from several quarters, the moment they saw a notice as to the only authorised copy, looked upon the street-sellers as a systematised portion of the London sharpers, seeking whom they might devour, and so bought their catalogues within. The best customers in the streets for the catalogues are, I am assured, the working classes, who visit the national exhibitions on a holiday. I've often I've heard them say, one man stated, I'd rather pay a poor man tuppence any day, when I can spare it, than rich people a penny. I know what it is to fight for a crust. At the National Gallery, the street-sold catalogues are a penny, threepence, and sixpence. In the hall, the authorised copy is sold at fourpence and one shilling. At the British Museum, the street charges are threepence and sixpence. There were one-penny catalogues of this institution, but they have been discontinued for the last half-year, being found too meagre. At the Vernon Gallery, the charge is one penny, but the sixpenny guidebook to the National Gallery contains also an account of the pictures in the Vernon Gallery. At Westminster Abbey, the price is sixpence, and the same at the House of Lords. At Hampton Court, it is twopence, fourpence, and sixpence, and at the same rate as regards the other places mentioned. At Hampton Court, I was told, the street-sellers were not allowed to approach the palace nearer than a certain space. One man told me that he was threatened with being had in for trespassing, and Mr. G. Blank would make him wheel a roller. Of course, the man continued, there's an authorised catalogue there. The best sale of catalogues in the streets was at the exhibition of the works of art for the Houses of Parliament. The sellers then, about twenty in number, among whom were four women, cleared two shillings and two shillings and sixpence each daily. At present, I am assured that a good week is considered one in which five shillings is made, but that three shillings is more frequently the weekly earning. It must be borne in mind that, at the two places most resorted to, the National Gallery and the British Museum, the street sale is only for four days in the week at the first mentioned, and three days at the second. "'You may think that more is made,' said one man, "'but it isn't. Sweeping a good crossing is far better, far. Bless your soul, only stand a few minutes looking on any day, and see what numbers and numbers of people pass in and out of a free admission place, without ever laying out a penny. Why, only last Monday and Wednesday,' Note, March the 17th and 19th, both very rainy days, end note, I took only fivepence. I didn't take more than fivepence, and I'll leave you to judge the living I shall clear out of that. And I know that the man with the catalogue at another place didn't take a penny. It's sad work, sir, as you stand in the wet and cold with no dinner for yourself, and no great hope of taking one home to your family. These street sellers contrive, whenever they can, to mix up other avocations with catalogue selling, as the public institutions close early. One, on every occasion, sells second editions of the newspapers, another has odd turns at portering, a third sells old umbrellas in the streets, some sold exhibition cards in the park on Sundays until the sale was stopped, another sells a little stationery, and nearly the whole of them resort, on favourable opportunities, to the sale of books of the play, or of the opera. Reckoning that there are regularly sixteen street-sellers of guide-books, they do not interfere with each other's stations, 
and that each clears four shillings weekly, we find £832 expended in this street traffic. I have calculated only on the usual bookseller's allowance of 25%, though in some instances these sellers are supplied on lower terms, besides having in some of the catalogues 13 to the dozen, but the amount specified does not exceed the mark. The greatest number of these guidebooks which I heard of as having been sold in any one day was four dozen disposed of on a fine wit Monday, and for these the street seller only took six shillings and eightpence. There are, I was informed, half as many more threepennies as sixpennies sold, and three times as many pennies as the other two together. The capital required to start is what may suffice to lay in a stock of books, five shillings generally. End of section 50